going live. And we're live. I'm so freaking excited for this morning. Good morning to everyone out there. My name is Alana Whitaker. As you know, I go by Afro Butterfly. This is the Digital Green Book Podcast. And you know I love interviewing amazing, dynamic, fabulous people on this podcast. Today, I have somebody so near and dear to my heart this morning, the amazing Felicia Hatcher. Thank you so much for being here this morning, Felicia. Good morning. And thank you so much, Alana, for the invitation. Absolutely. Let me make sure I put my phone on Do Not Disturb so people don't bother me right now. But I really wanted to have a, an amazing conversation with you today about the totality of what it means to be as amazing as you are, as amazing as we are in these tech spaces, but thinking about the self-care and the maintenance side of it. Because so often we get into this grind, 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 grind of continuing to build our personal brands, building our empires, and everything that you are now is so amazing. Black ambition is just one small part of who you are. And there's so many other things that you do, especially in the coaching and personal development space. I was just spending some time going through your website with all the amazing books that you have on there. I'm like, I need to get some of these <laughs> because I know there's a little bit more inner work that I want to do surrounding some of the topics that you cover. But that's really what I want to get into today. So I would absolutely love if you could sort of dive into how did you even wind up approaching the tech space? Mm. Yeah, I... Um... I taught myself how to code when I was 16. So that was my first entry point. I don't know, maybe before that, I was one the first of my friend group to get a my own computer. That's kind of how old I am. Uh, so like those two things were the first entry points into like technology, right? And then um, I was not the greatest student in school. So although I was in like all these STEM programs, like, like SECME, um, I was in honors biology. I was also still like a C student. I just couldn't push past math. And so I had a lot of people tell me that pursuing like engineering, which is something that interests me at the time, was not in the deck of cards for me based off of, based off of my grades. And so I had really kind of a non-traditional pathway um, into tech. And so from a career standpoint, most of my career um, was in the marketing and the product launch side of tech. And so I worked in experiential marketing for Nintendo and for Sony uh, launch Wells Fargo's second life video game called Stagecoach Island. And, and so like that, that was my, the breadth of my work in the, in the tech space was on the marketing and experiential marketing and a product launch side. And then for 10, really for them, like, God, goodness, almost the past 10 years, it has been on the eco ecosystem building side, right? So building the communities, so that technology can thrive in our communities and then like really kind of creating a, a magnetic force or resource or magnetic kind of pull mm -hmm. for the, those type of resources and activity and, and quite frankly, output to happen um, in our communities. And so being able to rid our communities of innovation deserts, building coding camps, building a technology conference, and then an innovation center and co-working space were some of kind of the bigger projects that that we had worked on over the past 10 years. I think that's amazing. And each of those things are still such a humongous need, but the fact that you even could identify those areas and actually manifest something, yeah. even those two words together, technology desert, I see so many of them. And knowing that there's a lot more work being done as far as creating boot camps and accelerators and everything that you do with Black Ambition and just being vocal and having a platform where you call attention to some of those areas is such a helpful thing, especially for people in our community who are seeking those opportunities and resources. So thank you for that. But now that you have sort of gone over the background of how you broke into tech, I do want to get into the maintenance side of that because everything that you just listed, ecosystem building, and deploying new programs in areas where there were none before, that is laborious work. It takes a team uh -huh. and it takes a lot of internal fortitude that admittedly a lot of people don't have because they weren't trained on how to have that. Mm -hmm. uh, 
those are some of the core skills, I think, in entrepreneurship that also could be honed in yeah. people, just resilience, fortitude, and personal accountability. You're not clocking in for someone else. You're clocking in for yourself. Um, but there's this odd duality that happens between clocking in for yourself and self-care, which mm-hmm. is a bit of what we chatted about before. Could you touch on a bit? after you transition into tech in a non-traditional way that you did, and now you find yourself managing all of these large projects, what did balance look like for you if there was any in the beginning? Yeah. Um, it's it's funny as you were rattling off those, those things, I think a little bit of delusion is a part of the part of that as well. Right. And so, um, you know, seeing, seeing something, and then creating something that does not exist. There's no blueprint for it. There's no real footsteps to follow and still doing it anyways. Uh, you got to be a little bit delusional, right? And I think then doing it um, in the full force in which we did it over those years, um, making a lot of mistakes in the process, getting a lot of things right and helping a lot of people, but also making a lot of mistakes because we just did not know the full breadth of what we were walking into or how much work and soul work it took to actually do it. And so um, I don't believe in balance. I don't believe in work-life balance. I try to run that rat race. It does not exist and you will die a slow death trying to pursue that, right? And so mm-hmm. I think anyone that ever talks to people about work-life balance is full of, full of BS. They may or may not know it, but they are, right? Because it just doesn't exist. You, you will have to choose like the two or three things that are most important to you and you build a career, you build a business around that um, and everything else will have to get in where it fits in. Right. And so mm-hmm. it's really kind of centering what your priorities are in that moment. And in that moment, knowing what season you are in, you know, are you in a season of focus? Are you in a season of building? Are you in a season of friendship? Are you in a season of, are you in a money season? Like, you know, it's very hard to have, um, you know, multiple layers of focus all at the same time. If you're excelling in one thing, that means something else in your life is falling apart, right? Especially if you're trying to do those things at the highest level. And so that's why it requires focus. And that's why it requires that, that you really have to choose, right? And so you know, building something before I had kids and then building something after I had kids or those things look completely different, right? And my priorities had to be completely different because I, you know, my both my kids are micro preemies. My daughter was born at 1.4 mm-hmm. pounds. My son was born at 2.7 pounds. And so those, are, those were years of extreme focus directly to my kids. Um, but I was also an entrepreneur, right? There was no paid time off. There was no maternity leave. There was none of that stuff. And so my only, the only two things I could focus on were my kids. Right. Um, and then like keeping the business afloat. So that means friendship took a back corner. That means anyone that was an immediate family that wasn't like this kind of cocoon of support around myself and my husband, unfortunately, like those were not priorities at the, at the moment. And you know, that resulted in some people fully understanding and that resulted in some relationships that were just like unsalvageable, right? And so say that yeah. a lot. <laughs> and so, and and you have to come to grips with that, right? And that meant that certain projects or certain, um, you know, opportunities were passed up because you just did not have, we did not have the capacity to hold on to anything else while we were in survival mode, right? And so that's why I say it's just, you have to choose, you pick two or three things. And I think the beauty of entrepreneurship is it allows you, if you are intentional, it allows you to build a business in full support of what those priorities are, right? And so, you know, I could take my kids, my daughter who's getting ready to turn 10 this year has been to more technology conferences than I promise you the average 10 year old has been to because we could take her along with us, right? She was like, she had a title when we were running Black Tech Week. I forgot what it was. I think it was like Chief Innovation something. It was something cute, right? Um, But like she would be roaming the halls of of the conference and she has a million and one technology t-shirts. And, but it allowed for that flexibility. So we didn't have to choose in that sense. We, We were able to incorporate, right? 
and we, and that's to me the beauty of the flexibility that entrepreneurship pr provides you, right? And, but then there's mm -hmm. a flip side of that, which is you're constantly in go, go, go mode. And so if you're not intentional about those things, you end up missing some of the big moments of your kids' lives or the big mm -hmm. moments of your things that happen to your friends and your family. But also just, you know, there were, there were seasons of focus for me is what I'm, what I'm trying to say. You know, that makes sense. And I know that's directly relevant to a lot of people watching the bulk of what I do. I love having conversations with people that I think that is something that fills my cup being mm -hmm. social quite a bit. Ironically, I can be a bit of a wallflower sometimes, but I love conversing with people because people have so many varied backgrounds and I'm finding the term non-traditional entry into tech is more common than what we think. I think there's very few people who actually traditionally <laughs> enter, right? And I've probably heard you speak personally at least a dozen times, to be honest. I do a lot of work in Miami. I just attended Black Tech Week where I got to hear you speak as well. And I learned something new about you every single time that you speak and it just gives me a, a deeper level of appreciation for you. I can't even imagine, I can imagine to some degree cause I was an ICU nurse for 13 years, uh, but I can't even imagine what it's like to have that level of focus for two of your children who went through that period of time and to know that they're robust now is yeah. a beautiful thing. I think we don't get to talk about that too often. The, the, highs and the lows of the lack of balance that comes sometimes in these spaces with entrepreneurship. So I did want to dig into that a little bit more. I mean, that was, I, I've known that statement to be true that you said that work-life balance is a myth. Um, mm -hmm. I very much felt that very much felt that, but as you know, there are a lot of self-help and, whatever sort of messaging that is coming from the outside that wants to compel you to believe that. And I'm just like, it's not possible. If if I'm going to focus on something and give it my all, something is going to lack somewhere. Yeah. No way that you can run full tilt on all cylinders everywhere all at once. It's just not possible. Um, this weekend at Black Tech Week, you touched a bit on the different zones that we each go through. And I really had to ask myself, like, how much of me is sitting in a zone of excellence versus a zone of genius? And I sort of wanted you to touch on in thinking about that lack of balance that comes sometimes in life, especially if you're trying to focus on keeping yourself in this space that's nice and uh, manageable to some degree. How How can one needle in on their zone of excellence and can you touch on what that is a bit for people who are watching yeah i don't want anyone needling in on their zone of excellence i want everyone to be operating like in full totality and full breath in their zone of genius mm -hmm. um and i think you know for a lot of the questions that you've been asking me alana i got my greatest clarity um when i discovered like that framework of getting to your zone of genius and then I spent, which was, which is inside of a book called The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And then I spent a almost a full year studying under Gay Hendricks and Kathy Hendricks, his his wife, to just get a very a better understanding of not just like how I can dive deeper into it and stay in the pocket of my genius at all time, but then how I can also just be a better teacher of it as, as well, because I just love it so much. It's been so transformational for me. And so, you know, he teaches four quadrants to getting to your your zone of genius and so um, there's your zone of incompetence your zone of competence your zone of excellence and your zone of genius mm -hmm. and then through going through that process personally at a time where i had faced like the hard brick road road of brick wall of burnout right i do not mm -hmm. wish burnout on anyone and i've i've gone through it that i've been able to recognize in my body twice and um, I picked up that book around around that time, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, 
you know, your zone of incompetence are all the things that you do. You have no business doing. You suck at doing those things. Stop doing those things, right? Your zone of competence is you know how to do those things, but they're not the best use of your time, your resources, your dollars, your energy, your your team. It's just not, right? Neither one of those two things are. And oftentimes we say yes to doing those things repeatedly because we are yes people. We don't want to disappoint people, right? Um, we have a, know how to do it, but when we produce work in those two zones, it's lackluster, right? It's not really that good. It got the job done, but it wasn't done with care, intention, and excellence, right? It just wasn't. Your zone of excellence is you are actually really good at doing these things. You probably make really good money doing these things. Um, you have a level of excellence. People come to you all the time and say, can you do this thing? And only the way you say, yes, yes, I can, because you've become good at it but you are not great at it. You're good, right? And your good is probably better than most people's like good, right? Like like in your excellence box, but it's also your comfort zone. It's your comfort zone and that's why it's tricky. And then it also oftentimes people that are operating in their zone of excellence box feel a little bit of stagnation, right? Like they just like, I'm here, but I know that there's something, like there's a higher level for me, right? I'm not expending all of my gifts and my innate abilities by doing, like there's still stuff that I'm leaving on the court. Although people are telling me like the work that I'm producing is really good. And so your zone of genius, it just, it looks and it feels completely, completely different. You are fully expending your gifts because in, when you do that, more of your genius flows through you, right? Like you are depleting it in the most healthy, healthy, nourishing way. And as a result of that, more gets to flow, flow through you. Um, it's that work that people say that, or the things that you do, I should say, that sets your soul on fire. It excites you. Like you could be spending hours doing these things and it really only feels like you've been only doing it for, for minutes. You will immediately and at all times raise your hand to do this thing, even if you're not being offered compensation. But because you are in your genius, you get to command the highest rates, right? The highest fees, the highest prices as a result of doing this, because you are uniquely positioned to do this in only the way that you can do it. That doesn't mean that your genius isn't the genius of other people, but there's a unique way in which you do the thing that you do, that when you show up, things happen. And they not only happen for you, they happen for any and everyone that you want to serve as a result of your genius. And like, that's genius, right? It's this innate ability that you have. It's not a job title. And I always tell people that because when, like the question you asked me, Alana, when people immediately want to say like, Felicia, well, what is my genius? And I'm just like, did you do the work? Because genius requires a process of elimination because adults, mm -hmm. at one time you become an adult, you've picked up doing all these things that are not, you're not good at. So they waste your time. They deplete your energy since you don't have any energy left to do the things that are in your genius because you're so bogged down with like trying to figure out how to do something that does not come natural to you, right? And things that stress you out and things that pull on you and extract from you that you don't have time to be in your genius. So you gotta get rid of those three things, the, the three other boxes by outsourcing it because a lot of those things in the process of how you do your thing still have to get done. They're just not supposed to get done by you, right? And so that is what genius is and where Gay Hendricks leaves off and why I wrote the workbook uh, Genius Jam is because once you know what your genius is, you got to give your genius a destination. And so as much as I love um, Gay and Kathy, they just did not leave any steps for that, right? Any tactics, any strategies, any principles for that. Um, once you figure out what your genius is, otherwise just like, I know my genius, but I'm like, well, what do I do with it, Right. And so one, you got to give your genius a destination. And I call that your zones of opportunity, right? Not opportunity zone, but like zones of opportunity. And there's three questions that there's really kind of like five questions that you ask in the workbook um, or answer in the workbook, but there's three kind of underlining, right? And so your zones of opportunity consists of your zones of impact. Like what impact do you want to have as a result of your genius? What kind of activity, right? Like what do you want to do with your genius? And then um, in like your everyday day, right? Your your life. Um, and then the, the last part of that is your zones of income. 
because like your genius, you got to be able to monetize your genius, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. That is actually what you should be thinking about so that you can play full out in your genius every single day. And so those are the seven zones um, that are very easy, but some of those questions are very uh, introspective questions that sometimes you just got to sit with them a little bit. Mm-hmm. It was it was amazing this weekend because the young man who came up and asked a question after I did has deep interest in cybersecurity, but he didn't quite know how to connect with that. And it was just through a very brief conversation flow of questions. He's like, oh, well, you helped him arrive at that conclusion that he could find meaning and purpose, specifically troubleshooting for his team because he felt so much clarity working through other people's problems. That's where he felt happiest and most enriched. So um, if y'all are wondering where to grab that workbook, you can head to Felicia's website, feliciahatcher.com. Very simple. Um, It's in a section labeled products. So head on over there. As we're talking about this, it made me think about so many things. And that was a phenomenal recap. I needled in on the zone of excellence because I think that's oftentimes where a lot of us get stuck, Mm -hmm. to be honest. Um, When I talk with a lot of people, even informally in interviews or in a lot of spaces that I'm very fortunate to travel to, be it a tech conference or be it just an area just with a lot of amazing founders in it. These are the conversations I have amongst my peers. Like they know that the work that they do is important, but they want to connect more deeply to that purposeful work and oftentimes uh life ebbs and flows but oftentimes they'll get stagnant as you mentioned because there are those threats of burnout and you've characterized them to me before but could you touch a bit on when you realized you experienced burnout and then how you were able to pivot back towards working towards your zone of genius so you didn't get stuck in that zone of excellence yeah, I I experienced burnout twice, probably probably three times, but twice for sure. And um, it so much of that comes with a lack of clarity, right? And so, you know, as human beings, we're mul- we're multifaceted people, but we throughout like our years in the education system, we're constantly told to choose. You know, ever since, and I push back on people when they ask my kids, like, well, what do you want to be when they grow up? I'm, I'm like, they are four and nine. Stop asking them that, right? Um, and I remember watching this TED talk that was even kind of talking about that, like, stop asking people, what do they want to do? And ask them, who do they want to be? And so we asked our kids, who do you want to be when you grow up, right? And that could be like, I want to be a very kind person. I want to be a creative person. I want to be passionate. Like, ask more. And we need to ask that more of of ourselves. And so throughout our lives, you know, when you graduate high school, what do you want to be? You haven't even explored the world yet to fully know how you want to impact the world, what fingerprint, what footprints you want to leave on the world. And I think it just gives this really warped sense of, um, sense of like, I don't even have the word for it right now, but I think it's it's a sense of pressure that I think is very irresponsible because you're finality. Right, right, right. And then the, you go on to college and then you got to not only major in one thing, but then also be tracking the ROI on this one thing that you're majoring in. And then, well, when you get out, then you get out into the real world or, or like professional career world or corporate America, then it's like, well, well what's, what's the one thing that you're going to do with the rest of your life? Like, I am 17 years old. Why are you asking me that? Right. Like I can't even drink. Like, like it's, it's just, it's this weird, there's all these weird things that we do to ourselves and that we put on others without fully understanding what the gift is. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's unfortunate because it, I think that's what leads to one so much confusion And then it leads to different varying layers of burnout for people because you're just so unclear. Like, hey, I love to paint. I also love drinking coffee. I love to be on the the beach, but then I also love Canva and I love like I love technology. Like you love all these things. And the thing is, you can't. And why Mm -hmm. genius was so important for me when I because I was doing all these things and I can do a lot of things really well. 
but not all of them were my genius. But what I realized is there's your genius and there's what happens as a result of your genius. And being able to be very clear on that actually allows you to approach and explore all the multifaceted things that you are interested in and that make you you. And that's the clarity that I needed, right? And so I was traveling all over the place at raised millions of dollars for our organization, Center for Black Innovation and Black Tech Week at the time. And I was doing all the things for everyone and I was not being honest with myself about what I needed. And so that like that burnout that I experienced, um, like literally sitting in a hotel in San Francisco years ago and just like gushing my ear, my eyes out crying because I was so exhausted because I was doing everything for everyone and I was not in tuned with my body and myself. And my body was literally telling me like, Felicia, like if you get back up, if you move, like you may not make it. And I I don't know what may not make it means, but you know, you ever just get this loud, like you, you better not do that, right? Um, right? And that's what was happening to me. And I had been ignoring it for a long time. And it just mm-hmm. got louder than it had ever been in the presence of my body ever before. And I just, something has told me, if you do not listen this time, like I don't, you may end up in a hospital. Like, I don't know what it was, but I just knew that I needed to listen in that moment. And I thank God that I listened in that moment. Right. And so um, what helped me through that was picking up the big leap book. And I had picked it up before, put it down, picked it up, put it down again. And then I was finally ready to receive the information that was in the book. And it forced me to choose like that forced me to choose having my son um, early, right, at 27 weeks also forced me to choose. Um, you know, I was I was in the hospital for three weeks after I had my son in internal bleeding. I was literally dying and the hospital didn't know what was wrong, what was wrong with me. And it's one of those moments where you're just like, Lord, if I make it on the other side of this, I am going to like keep the promises to myself. Because like make a life change as significant as it is, as fast as my career and my life was moving, you also sometimes compromise on those promises to yourself and kind of walk them back a little bit. And I had made some great promises and I had started walking them back. And then I ended up in the hospital for another three Mm -hmm. weeks after giving birth to my son. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where like, if you don't listen, like some it's going to tell you to listen. And that... That was the, those two moments happening, um, you know, within the same year were the things that got me all the way together, right? Snatched literally all of my edges. And I was like, you have to make some really hard choices. And so, you know, if you remember Shonda Rhimes' book, The Year of Yes, I went on like a year or two years of no. It was like no to any and everything. My husband taught me a really good lesson around that. Because I would say yes, and then go back and be like, oh, I checked my calendar. I couldn't. I can't actually do this thing. And then you you come off as a jerk, right? And undependable and flaky. And he was like, you say no to everything. And then it gives you time to go back and say, hey, actually, I can do that, right? Or I do have room in my calendar, or I've been able to move them things around, or I've changed my mind. And you don't come off as the jerk. So he was just like, you say no to everything, because that's him. You say no to everything first. And then it allows you to take the time. I mean, that's really helpful for people that are people pleasers by nature, right? Give yourself the time and the grace um, to be able to do so. And so a lot of like, those are the things that help, right? I had to build a better team of support. Um, mm-hmm. I had to tool my executive assistant who had been telling me for a really long time, Felicia, you need to stop saying yes to these because I'm saying no, but then you're going back and saying yes. So like, we're working against each other. Uh, so it was a you know new conversation that I had to have with myself, my family, uh, my support team as as well to put some really big boundaries in place and not boundaries like electric fence boundaries, but like hold me, hold me to the things that I told you, even if I'm going to work against myself, this is what's in the best interest of myself and the business. And you need those external supports a lot of time. If you were the person that is constantly going to go back and forth, kind of double dutching in and out of the boundaries that you set and the things that you said that you wanted. Hmm. That resonates, I think, not only with me, but frankly speaking, you're universal. We're all universal. There's so many different facets of 
us that can speak to anybody. Mm -hmm. um, I often say health is the great equalizer. Um, I learned some of the greatest lessons that I ever encountered by working at the bedside. I forever mm -hmm. loved nursing for that reason. And I was blessed to have a start in International Hospital, my home hospital's Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. So I've literally had probably every nationality of human being mm -hmm. in my hospital bed before. Um, and as such, you, when you're able to peel back those layers on what really makes a human, what makes up humanity, uh, what are most people vulnerable, vulnerable about, what will stop the clock for anyone. Like you're saying, your body had to finally tell you, sit down for you to hear it because the human will and our spirit often wants to do more sometimes than what we physically should be doing. That mm -hmm. mind-body connection I know is oftentimes severed for a good amount of people. So they're not really in tune with when they should stop or when they should listen. And I parallel that with my healthcare background because I really noticed that when people were at their most vulnerable moment, and they got to that that question, that point, like, man, if I could just do it differently, I promise I'll do this. Or if I just get one more chance, I'll I'll run it back, I'll pull it back, and I'll just focus on this, this, and this. Sometimes it does take like a critical mass situation for you to be able to prioritize that level. Because if it doesn't have that level of urgency on you, like I'll do all of the things, all of them. <laughs> um, and even for myself, I multitask very well and at a high volume and at a high capacity. Great attributes to have, but I don't need to do everything all the time, forever, everywhere, all at once. Um, so when I hear you reflect on that, not only does that so deeply resonate with me, but my heart especially goes out to individuals who look like us. It really does because there haven't really been programs or, or conversations curated around black women's experience in entrepreneurship. Yeah. It, I mean, there are a few different things. A shout out to like Ashley Wisdom of Health and Her Hue, mm -hmm. um, who really focuses on mental health care aspects. And a black entrepreneur. Oh, she is? Yeah, yeah. I heard it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a small world after all. Wow. Um, there are a lot of dope people out here doing a lot of great work. And I think not only through that saying someone's name when they're not in the room helps amplify them, but it brings awareness that we really do need these spaces and resources curated for, yeah. for this. Um, there's another wonderful business out there. I'll take a moment to shout out Billy, um, created by a young black woman. Pardon me that my name, your name escapes me at this moment, but literally a healthcare community and a, a crowdsourcing app that is built around women's pregnancy. She won the, um, Fearless Fund, a Fearless Fund endowment last year in Atlanta with, and the entire app is so amazing. I'll drop it in the comments when I'm done with this. I was just in all of it because the her SAS was able to bring so much money towards women going through pregnancy alone. And mm -hmm. I was like, wow, I will always remember Billy for that reason. Yeah. But I, I say all that to say everything you're saying is so relevant and we often don't get these moments to pause and have these kinds of conversations. And when it comes to identifying when to take a break or when to pause or even when to check in internally with yourself so you can back up and find, am I only in a zone of excellence or do I need to go ahead and focus and niche down so I can head towards genius a little bit more? What would you say aside from the imminent danger, danger that happened that caused you to be able to do that in, in your moments of recovery, after you got through the rough patch, you mentioned that you were able to identify those things, but you did walk them back sometimes. Mm -hmm. What would you say helped you realize when you were walking back? You mentioned the support system around you, yes, but internally, did you feel yourself walking back on some of those promises you made to yourself at times? Yeah, I mean, all the time, even even now, right? Like, not, not as 
the walkbacks aren't as big now, right? Because, you know, one thing about going through that that process is it gives you a process of, of elimination. Um, I think I have, sorry. Um, it gives you a process of elimination, right? And as a result of that, then that's how you build a stronger team of, of support ar around you. And so like that part helped, but it also gives you a vocabulary to use with people around you when they ask you to do things, right? Cause like once you are a problem solver, right? People know that they can depend on you. And when they ask you to do something, the thing gets done, then they ask you to do any and everything, right? Which is a, which is the, is a good and bad thing. You want to, you want to be valued in the marketplace of the industry that you're in, because that's also how you can command top dollar for the thing that you're doing. But also at the same time, because of that, people come to you oftentimes with things, asking you to do things that are not aligned. And so you have to have a sense of fortitude and conviction about the thing that you excel the best at, aka your genius, and be able to let people know, hey, actually, that's not in my genius. And I could do that, but you know what? It would actually cost the company more than it would actually benefit the company, right? It'll cost this project more than it would actually benefit. And so getting very comfortable with telling people and saying to people, that's not in my genius. I could do it, but like this is what it would cost us. And knowing what the actual cost is as a result of you doing these things, right? And like that has helped uh, like time and time again as I'm being asked or being pulled in different different directions. It's also something that is essentially kind of like a barometer for myself. Like I, I, mean, I was like, oh man, I could do that, but Felicia, that's not in your genius. And you know it's not in your genius. And if you do that, yeah, you could get it done, but you would probably miss the deadline as a result of it because it ain't really your thing. And so like you're mm -hmm. gonna keep putting it to the end of your to-do list, right? Um, and so hiring a team where like the things that are in my zone of excellence or zone of competence or incompetence, like it is their zone of genius. That is how you have like a, a force of a team to be reckoned with as a result of that. And so those things have been really helpful for me. Is, is more than anything having the vocabulary. And then also saying, if, if it's not for me. Like, it is not for me. And so being able to put other people on is where I spend a lot of my time. One, just because of the army of entrepreneurs that we have within the Black Ambition Network that I've amassed with the work at Center for Black Innovation that I've amassed in just like my Genius Jam work. Like being able to just li literally say, this thing is, I think is for you. And that way you create a space of abundance for everyone. And then when you're really in the pocket of your genius, there, there is no competition. I'm not, I'm not competing against anyone. And that's not being a jerk. That's not ego. I am not. Like my genius is my genius. And as a result of that, I have carved out my own lane. And yeah. I stay in my lane. And the great thing about it is when opportunities that come that are not in my genius, I can literally give it to somebody else. And I do that abundantly. There's no scarcity. There's no holding on to anything. Um, and I got a good reframe of that, having a conversation with my mentor, one of my mentors, Myron. And because I was just like, I'm a big pie. Like the pie is big enough for anyone to get a slice kind of person. And I would say that to him all the time. Right. And I, and I wholeheartedly believe because I'm like, I believe in this infinite pie. Right. And he was just like, no, Felicia, the pie is not big enough for everyone to get a slice. I'm like, Myron, what are you talking about? Like, there's an infinite pie. Everyone can always get their slice. And he was like, no, the pie is not big enough for all of us to get our slice. And he Why? was like, when you eat your slice, this is it, Alana. And it blew my mind when he said it to me. When you eat your slice of the pie, that's it, right? Like your consumption doesn't produce anything else for others. And so the pie is not big enough for everyone to get a slice. He said, what we should be striving to do is not eat from our slice of the pie. Um, and someone, when I posted this on IG, she's like, I don't want to be in a pie eating contest with anyone anymore. Right. And but what Myron said is like, we should not be striving to eat from a pie. Um, we should be striving to eat from the garden. Because when you eat from the garden, whenever you get your, you know, that fruit, you can be well fed. And your consumption, at the end of your consumption of that fruit are seeds. 
You get to plant those seeds and other people continuously get to eat over and over and over again. Because in this work of entrepreneurship, and I think when specifically when we're talking about entrepreneurship in diverse communities, there's such scarcity, right? We talk about crabs in a barrel. We talk about all these different things, very limited resources. Some get in the room, some don't get in the room. All, all, all of that, right? Um, and because of that, we think that the only way that we can have the things that we want is we got to cat and crawl and, and scrape um, and harm others, right, in order to get the thing that we need. Or yeah. that the only way that we can be financially secure in the thing that we're doing is that we got to, it got to be struggle money and hard money and depressive money. It doesn't have to be any of those things if you can operate from the garden, right, from in a very abundant place that like, I get to be well fed. And there's nothing wrong with saying that you get to be well fed because otherwise, why are you building a business mm -hmm. if it doesn't allow you and your team and your family and your community to eat? Why are you building it? And why are people so hardwired to thinking that like you got to struggle so hard for this stuff and that you got to hold on to every part and every seed and every like crumb of all like, no. You get to eat and be well-fed when you operate in your genius, because when you operate in your genius and you were well-fed, at the end of taking care of yourself, your team, your company, and your community, there are seeds for any and everyone that also operates from a space of abundance to also be well-fed too. And when you have a community that everybody is well-fed, you actually have a community that feeds you have an ecosystem that takes care and supports people. And then also it creates a very holistic environment where everyone is taken care of at all different aspects of whatever it is that they need, but you prioritize care for every and everyone. You're checking in on any and everyone. You're releasing yourselves from creating toxic environment. That, mean that, that doesn't mean that competition doesn't happen, but what you end up getting is creative collaboration and creative competition where everyone is building something and we continue to build and we continue to rise because it's the betterment of the abundant garden and community of excellence and genius that you've created. Like that's where I wanna live and that's where I wanna play and that's where I wanna build. And I have a friend circle that's about that same thing too, right? And I want more people to just register to that, but that requires you to choose what your thing is, what your thing is, what your thing is. You know what the funny thing is, like throughout the conversation, I always try to pick out the two words that are in between the lines that really sum up the conversation for me when I think about the majority of my audience. And I have a pretty diverse audience, surprisingly. LinkedIn is a phenomenal place to network. It really is. But frankly speaking, I find that people like seeing reflections of themselves in excellence. And I've had, I would honestly say hundreds of black women reach out to me, both from the healthcare sector and the tech sector. And they'll just send me encouraging messages. Sometimes, sometimes they'll ask for advice. Um, sometimes they just say hello. <laughs> um, but over the last few years, I would say the central theme is either centering around a reflection of themselves saying, I want to see myself be able to do the things you do. And I never know how to respond, but I just, I one, I just want to acknowledge how they feel. So I'll reply. Um, but then I'm always left chewing on that piece like, how do I make them feel this way? And then how can I be better? How can I show up or represent better? How can I find more resources? How can I? That's where I, I get sometimes. And when I'm listening to you speak during the space of this conversation, I identify that it's, it's self-worth that a lot of women need more reinforcement in. Because yeah. um, I'm like, what is keeping people from crossing over into their zone of genius? What is keeping people from pushing? What is keep, when, when, and when I'm chewing on this, this is what I'm hearing, the in between the lines. I really think our community needs a, a rocket boost of self-worth because they have all of the necessary ingredients to do already, but they can't even approach 
what you're characterizing with zone of genius just yet to do that internal work because they don't believe it is what I'm hearing when I'm listening and just connecting those subconscious dots. So I guess my next question would be, when you've run into people who have what you identify as the potential and you see everything there, but you believe in them more deeply than they believe in themselves, what are things you can do to catalyze them, to encourage them so that the next time somebody does reach out, I have something better prepared that could assist them? Because I always guide them towards resources and things of that nature, but it's the transformative thing that I want to say. And I know this is like, ah, but I'm y'all, y'all know these conversations are transparent. These are questions mm -hmm. I really don't have answers to, which is why I'm asking, like, what would you say when you identify that that person has everything that they need? They just, that level of belief, how do I catalyze that? Yeah, there's, there's, there's three things, right? And so, um, you know, there's, we have to become the person that can do the thing, right? And not until you can become the person that you can do the thing, you cannot move forward. What do I, what do I mean by that, right? You can have all the resources that are around you. Uh, I'll take, for instance, fitness, right? Like I have a, I literally, I have a Peloton right here in this room. There is a gym right downstairs. There, my neighborhood is, has some of the best walkability of, of Miami. I still didn't go and work out this morning. Right. And so it's not for a lack of resources. It's definitely not for a lack of know-how. I know when I go out and I get on the Peloton for 10 minutes and do like this high power, like I feel better about it with the rest of the day. Right. I know when I go out and take a, take a walk and I did like a um, five mile walk yesterday, a little sore, but I feel so much better. I get my best thinking done. So it's not a lack of know-how, right? It's not that I don't have it literally in my house to, to work out. I have to become the person that's insatiable about fitness every single day. And then I do the activity, right? And so that also speaks to speaking to the essence of the person, right? Like if that's the essence, a part of the essence of who you are, then it's something that you do on autopilot. And so we think that, um, you know, there's a guy that teaches the four levels of learning for the four, four levels of teaching, right? And there is tactics, strategies, uh, principles, and then essence. And oftentimes when we think that we're trying to help someone have a changed behavior, we think that they need new tactics, they need new strategies, or they need new principles. And they don't, right? They don't need it. Literally, Peloton, walkability, gym right? Those are tactics. Hey, Felicia, get on. Hey, Felicia, take a class. You picking up, you understand what I'm saying, right? Like those are tactics, the strategy in which you do this. All right. You just do a 10 minute class here at high, high output or high impact or whatever. Then you do the bells and you drink some water. Then you have a salad for lunch and you'll be good, right? Mm -hmm. The principles that are the laws in which that guide us of why we should do the things that we, we do, those are all the things about like how the body works and like, hey, mm -hmm. you know, low calorie consumption or yeah, low calorie consumption and like high output of like moving your body and energy is how you lose. We all know that it all change across none of the diets, none of the fitness things. That principle is the same. What means everything is the essence, who you are. What guides you? What are your priorities? What do you care about? What makes you you? And so when you become a person who prioritizes fitness, you become a, a person that prioritizes generating wealth. When you become the person in your mindset, because it's not another skill set, it's not another tool set, it's a mindset shift that has to happen. All right, like, well, if I want to be, you know, I want to lose weight, what does it mean or what does my day need to now need to be shaped of or someone that's at the healthiest version of themselves? One, I have to say that I want to be the healthiest version of myself, right? Two, I need to surround my people my, or surround myself with the people that are the healthiest version of themselves so that my habits are now different. My conversations are now different. But more than anything, I'm surrounded with people who I will borrow their belief in me because if they're at that position, then they also believe that I have the potential to be the healthiest version of myself because they are the healthiest version of themselves. You see, you see what I'm saying? It's like those are like and those are the things that we're constantly told 
are the foundations of any change behavior. But if we don't embody it with ourselves within ourselves, it's very hard to be able to do those things in the every single thing, every single daily motion of how we do our things. It has to be ingrained in who we are and ultimately who we want to want to become. Like that is how that change behavior starts to happen. It does not happen otherwise. It just it does not. It has to become the essence of who you are. And so like that's why genius is so big for me because it is the essence of who you are, right? And I know in the work that I do every single day and what I get to do, like I want to only talk to the highest version and the essence of who you are and who everyone else is. And sometimes you call that future pacing, right? So I'm not talking to the current version of that person. I'm talking to the future version of that person that's at the highest level in which they want to be. And when you talk to that person at that level, you get to meet them at the highest vibrational of themselves and help them get along that pathway to being able to, to get there. So many of us will talk to the lowest version of people around us. We'll talk to the lowest version of our customers. We um, automatically assume that the people around us that we're selling to have absolutely no money. They have money. You can show them how to get there, right? Like these are the shifts that have to happen mentally. My zone of genius is being a solution-driven communicator, right? Like what I speak, I speak to solve problems for people. I'm a synthesizer. That's my genius, right? I can take very complicated information and break it down into a way that anybody can understand. I can talk to a head of state and I can talk to a grandmother and they will both understand the exact same thing that I'm doing. Like that's my gift. And as a result of my gift, there's all these things that happen, right? Most people think that fundraising is my zone of genius because I've raised millions, like by any like regular standard, you can literally say that because I've raised millions of dollars. I've stood up all these great programs. I have a celebrity that like plucked me out of like my organization and said, can you come lead this thing for me? Like, and if I had to fundraise as my, like every single, like I'd rather poke my eye out than doing it, but it happens as a result of my genius. So when I show up, and I'm able to synthesize the complicated information for a government official or a corporation so that they can understand why it's in the best interest of their business to be able to support Black, Hispanic, and HBCU startup founders. One, because it just aligns with what they said that was a priority for them from a philanthropic standpoint. But then two, when people are making more money, they are a higher level and a more educated consumer base. Don't you want smarter customers? Right. And so like when I can communicate that, then it in the way that I do it, then this is what happens. Right. These entrepreneurs get the funding that they need. These corporations match the KPIs that they need. Like these are the things that happen as a result of my genius. And I like to share that because when I want people to just know what my genius is and then they see it. Right. You end up seeing it on stage. You see it in boardrooms. You see it in courses and things like that. I love doing this stuff, but there are things that happen as a result of that, right? Um, spaces get built, businesses get built, people get funded. Like these are the things that happen and they only happen when I show up in my genius, but they are not my genius. They are literally mm -hmm. the essence of what I do. And when you tap into the essence of what you do, it shows up in every single thing that you do the exact same way. And so you actually doesn't limit you. What it does is it allows you to go much deeper into the things that you are most passionate about, right? And so I ran a food company for seven years, right? I invested in a hip hop ice cream shop. How do I do that? This doesn't sound like it's connected to my genius, but the functions in which I show up, I showed up in that ice cream shop were the exact same way. I wasn't scooping the ice cream, right? I wasn't making the ice cream. I helped communicate the brand that brought in the investors that then brought in the customers. And then I got out the way. And so I can still, and I'm, I'm a dessert fanatic, right? Alana, I got married in a donut shop. I ran a gourmet popsicle manufacturing company for seven years. Like these are things that are, are, are excited. They may not be aligned with like what people think my thing is, but they are aligned with my genius in the way that I show up, right? I show up the exact same way at my kids' soccer team. The thing that I volunteer to do are aligned with what my genius is. I'm not carrying the balls, right? But I'll send out the email communication. I'll create the Slack so that we can communicate to each other. Um, the flyer, uh, like, you, you understand what I'm saying? And so, like, that's, I do. Our scene. that's why when we were in at Black Tech Week, when I asked the guy, 
to start digging deeper into what excites him about cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. The most important question, I, all the questions were important, but the most important question to know if you're going in the right direction of identifying your genius is asking yourself, where else does that show up in your life? Like this thing that you like within your career, where else does that show up in your life? I, I did that for a man, a, a, a guy, when I did this presentation for EY um, or e- EO a few months ago, and the guy was just like, my genius is being an excellent father. I was like, okay, but that's, fatherhood is a title, right? And I was like, what would your daughter say about you is the, the thing that you feel is your genius? And they said, he said, well, they would say that I'm a really good listener. Mm-hmm. Like, that's interesting. Tell me where else that shows up in your life. Like, what do you what do you do for work? Because it was the opposite of that guy. Like at Black Tech, we, we led with work first, and then I asked him where that shows up personally. This guy, he started personally, and then it led back to what his work was. So mind you, his daughter said that he was a really good listener, and that was his genius. So I was just like, well, what do you do? Tell me what you do for work. I'm the communications director for blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, well, right? And so it shows up when it's the essence. You embody it, right? Like it shows up in everything that you do. And so from there, you map out how much money do you want to make as a result of your genius? Because when you're in the pocket of your genius, you you should be able to make it and touch as much money as you possibly want because you are super serving and delivering at the highest level. But you can't do that if you don't identify what it is because you need a North Star in what you're achieving, you're striving towards, right? And then the impact that you want to have. How much impact do you want to have as a result of your genius? You have to identify what that impact is so that it's guiding the steps that you take every single day towards your genius or being able to operate in your genius so that it actually leads to being able to help other people. And then the last part of that is like, what do you want to do every single day to lead to that impact and to that income level? Because you may say, you know, as a result of my genius, I don't want to work a nine to five. Okay, well, you want to be an entrepreneur. Well, what do you want your days to look like, right? Like with the work that I, I don't want to wake up. It, it was year, uh, years ago. I was like, I don't I don't want to wake up to an alarm clock anymore. That eh, 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 crazy alarm clock. I want nature to wake me up, right? And so as a result of that, I don't take meetings before 10 o'clock in the morning. I want to naturally flow into the, to my day. I, that means I leave my blinds open. My husband hates it. But like, I want the sunshine to wake me up. And so sometimes, depending on where I'm at, that's 630 in the morning. Some days it's eight o'clock and I'm perfectly fine with that. And then my day starts at 10 because I wanted a flow and I didn't want to register to all the craziness and crankiness of people that are coffee dependent at, at eight o'clock in the morning. But that's by lifestyle design. And so genius allows you to also design your life. It allows you to design your life that also, but knowing those things, that means that I couldn't work in an environment where I had to be in an office at eight o'clock. I hate being in an office. So I work from home, right? Like these are all the things that you then get to design when you have the clarity of what you, how you want to spend your days and what you want to happen as a result of that. And then you get to plan and put in together the smaller things that make up like the abundance, the happiness and joy that you get to experience as a result of working and being in your genius. It's so funny that each time I pick out something else that challenges a paradigm that's been taught to us. And when I'm sitting here like, yeah, I really need to wonder why I'm thinking this thing. You literally said speak to people at their highest level Mm -hmm. of capacity. I would hazard say most of us are taught to speak to people where they are, meet people where they're at. And that's never quite resonated with me. I understand the capacity in which you're saying it like, oh, well, this person's in this state. And if you want to if you want them to hear you or to communicate with them, you might have to translate it in a way that they can digest. I understand it's the spirit of it, but that's never resonated with me. I've always wanted to believe more in people because I feel like so many people are affected by an external locus of control, meaning that the world just happens to them, where I personally feel like I'm guided by an internal locus of control. I believe that I can impact the environment around me and have a positive influence on others around me as well. Mm -hmm. And I believe when you speak to 
someone's internal locus of control. You help elevate that in others because they're stuck in that external, the world's happening, the system, the man, da, da, da. and that that's super helpful because when people do reach out now, I do want to try to craft those messages a little differently, uh, not to speak life, so to speak, but to, to speak to them as though they are operating from their own internal will that believes that they can do more. Um, as we're wrapping up here, oh my God, we're over an hour. Uh, so you you covered quite a bit of what I did want to get to. You do have a mentor. So that was absolutely amazing for you to dig deep into yeah. your thoughts. Um, I'm going to go ahead while there's so many more questions, but I'm going to choose one so we can wrap this. How do you check in with yourself? And what are the safeguards that you've put in place to minimize burnout? You touched on boundaries mm -hmm. earlier and saying no more often. But what do you do to check in with yourself when you feel yourself edging a bit too much towards the, I might start saying yes to everything side again. <laughs> and and um, shout out to your amazing assistant, Alexis. How did you build the team that would keep you accountable? Mm. And then we did that. Yeah, so Alexis plays a huge role in that, right? And so we do weekly check-ins every Friday. And that's going over schedule, of course, things that are coming up, um, e even just things that I need, right? Like it's a lot of like, Felicia, what is it that you need right now, right? How can I best support you? And so those things really help just kind of lighten the load. Uh, and then I, myself and my husband, we outsource as much as we possibly can. And I, we took the guilt out of outsourcing a long time ago, right? <laughs> I always always joke, but I'm also serious. I was just like, we hired a cleaning lady before we had kids that I was, and my husband would say, saved our marriage, right? Because you start arguing about things that have nothing to do with the thing that you're arguing about. But it's like, who, who, you know, who's going to do that pile of laundry? And it's piling up like crazy. And we're both working. Like, and so it took out that friction in the relationship of saying, who's responsible for this, Right. And said, like, you know, we are going to compensate someone to be responsible for that because we don't have the time. We don't have the time. Right. Um, and we will budget to afford the person because it, at first it was just once a month. Right now we have someone come once a week and it's the few hours that we get back for our time to do whatever we want. We're also supporting another business. Right. Which I think when people realize that it also takes the guilt out of it. Like I'm supporting someone else's business by being able to do so. And so, you know, you get back to a point like time is the only commodity that we do not get back. People often say like time is money. Time is not money. Time is not money. Time is infinitely more valuable than money. Money can be reprinted. It can be re-earned. Time, once you lose it, you do not get it back. So time is infinitely infinitely more valuable than money, infinitely more valuable than money, right? And when you get to a point in your career where like you literally try to buy back your time so that you can spend it however you want, right? And so, you know, Instacart, I, we do all the things. The Instacart, um, for a while we did the outsourcing of laundry because it would come back folded, right? And then all you gotta do is put it away, like the best thing ever. And when you do like the opportunity cost of, what it costs for that thing to just keep piling up, right? The mental toll that it also takes, because I think oftentimes people don't think about that. Like if you are a creative and high performing, you have to have, it's also, also for me, it's very hard to create at the highest level when things are in disarray or, or messy. So I need a very clean and orderly house. It also probably comes from my dad. Like, right, growing up with my dad, everything had to be in, in, in place. And so knowing that, like that, be, that's essentially, I mean, it's a personal cost, but mentally for me, it's a business cost because things need to be in order, right? Mm -hmm. And so any in which way that we can outsource, and we've tried all these different things to think to figure out the things that work the best for us, but I'm a, I'm a firm, firm believer of it, right? Um, we have, you know, best childcare support for, for our kids so that they get to be in the creative pocket of what the things that they're doing. And so these are the things, and you don't have to have them all at once. You, so you start with one hour, right? What is one hour 
of childcare look like if it allows me to be super focused on what I'm doing? You know, what is one day a month for someone to come in and do a deep clean and just organize and put everything back where it needs to be? How does that free you up? How does that allow more things to flow to you and through you because there's order in your house? Sometimes we only think about the chaos that exists in business or in career, but we don't think about the external factor of being in a chaotic like home environment. Mm-hmm. And if you can clear that up, oftentimes that that allows more opportunities to flow through you because now your your place that you call sacred and the place where you put your head at night to dream your big dreams is clear for things to flow through your home and ultimately to your heart and ultimately to your head, ultimately to your pocketbook, right? And so we got to be thinking about all of, of, of those things. But yeah, every, I would say maybe about once a quarter, my husband and I sit down and we put a list together of like, well, what new things that we pick up or as far as activity or things that we do that we hate doing, we need to outsource or we need to reevaluate what we're currently outsourcing. And we try and do that once a quarter um, to figure. And then there's new tools that pop up, new services that we say, can this um, simplify our life even better so that there's just a really amazing flow into everything that, that we do. And so those, those things have been really helpful. And so outsource, outsource, outsource. I cannot stress that enough. That actually came up in one of the sessions at Black Tech Week. Um, it was literally a panel on burnout. Um, Evan Lee Park did such an amazing job yeah. answering a question I asked him about, okay, if I'm in that transitional period between trying to l- relinquish and let go so I can delegate, so I can outsource, and also finding trustworthy people to release those things too. Because as we, you know, we characterized earlier, there's a there's a certain level of service that you do expect mm-hmm. um, that when you're trying to patronize certain businesses might not be there quite yet. <laughs> but yeah, no, that was definitely one of the conversation topics that came up, and it is it is a source of struggle for a lot of people. Um, but I think the way you've characterized it doesn't have to be a struggle. It's something that can be a big idea framework that people can work towards and i'm so grateful that you spent this time with me today i think you're phenomenal um right back at you sis right back at you thank you and you, you, the last thing i would say about genius is really just throwing it back to you right because you get to when you get to walk into someone's genius it just feels different mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and like this is so much your genius the way that like you know, this information, the people that you put together, the conversations, the intention, intentionality around the questions that you're asking, the care, like, this is very much your genius you're sharing with other people, right? Mm -hmm. And we always know, like, when you walk into a business and you're just like, it just, something hits you in your spirit, you know, when you were walking into something that someone created with, like, the highest level of intention and care, um, and community for other people. And this feels very much like one of those sacred places. And so one, thank you for creating that. Uh, thank you for creating this, this this box of a genius called like Digital Green Book for, for other people. And so I just wanted to, you know, give you your flowers around this because it very, it feels very much like this is, this is a space that you created specifically for those reasons. Thank you so much, Felicia. You're amazing. You're, ah, ah. <laughs> I get bashful sometimes when I'm working on that too. Um, one more time, y'all. This is Felicia Hatcher. Please stop by her website, pick up some of the amazing products that she's lovingly taking time to craft to help us reach our zone of genius and connect with her on socials. Follow her on LinkedIn. She's Felicia Hatcher on everything. The replay to this will be available both on YouTube and LinkedIn. So share it in your network. And I'm looking forward to all of the amazing conversations coming up throughout the rest of the year. Uh, But thank you, thank you, thank you, Felicia, for being here today. And I'm really honored. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you as well. Have a great rest of your day. Bye. Yay. Dancing. Oh, wait.